0: Hello everybody, this is Kevin Witham, and welcome to season two of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. In this season, we want to focus on practical discussions about unity within the Stone-Campbell movement and beyond. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one, so that the world may know. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread, and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. So glad to have you back with us for another uh, conversation on our Common Ground Unity podcast. If you're a new listener to us, uh, we are having conversations with people across the streams of the Stone Campbell Restoration Movement, uh, bringing thought leaders, theologians, authors, ministry folks together uh, for dialogue and hopefully. Uh, You've been introduced to some great folks that maybe you didn't know outside of this podcast and have accessed some of their works more. We've got two great guests with us uh, today. Our, Our motto is unity starts with a cup of coffee. We're encouraging dialogue, conversation, unity through relationship with other believers. Randy Harris is back with us today, as is Dr. Steve Kennard. They both joined us last week, and I gave them a Lengthy introduction. So I I hope you'll listen to the first podcast. Uh, If you're tuning into this one and this is your first in this two part series on spiritual formation, hear the first as well. But we're thrilled to have them both back with us to talk about spiritual formation, which is a part of a larger series on this particular theme. So I'm going to lead us off. Gentlemen, good to have you both back with us again. Thank you. Uh, In the formative years of uh, Of what we now call the Stone-Campbell movement, we wrestled with different perspectives about the spirit. Uh, Campbell, he was highly influenced by logic and reason, and perhaps we could say Barton Stone was more comfortable with the spirit working in ways that, frankly, many of us might be uncomfortable with today. The Cambridge revival uh, stands out as one example. Campbell lived longer, and, and consequently his influence may have tipped the scales toward his perspective, and now it seems that that many are rediscovering some of what we may have lost. Could you both talk to us a little bit about the tension and our history wrestling with the Spirit and the Spirit's work in our lives and in our congregations?
1: Do you guys like how we start with these easy questions for you? Just something simple.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I'm not a a church historian. I'm a theologian, so I I have to sort of stay in my lane. But uh, we always want to make it simpler than it is. And it is true that Campbell was extremely influenced by sort of John Locke sort of uh, reasoning. But he did have a spirituality. And it is true that Barton Stone was more given to kind of the charismatic Pentecostal side, Slavik ridge But if you've read him, he's an excellent thinker. So it's not like Campbell's a thinker with no spirit and, and Stone is this spiritual guy with no thinking. That's just not, you know, like, but there clearly is a different emphasis. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, despite how some of my church historian Friends want to rewrite the history. Campbell won, and I, I you know, I don't. Um, uh, I, I'm not smart enough to be able to figure out all the whys. I don't think it was just that he outlived Campbell. I think, I mean, outlived Stone. I think there are probably some other things going on there as well. But I think that it's becoming clearer and clearer. Uh, let, let me put it the way Jamie Smith um, puts it in a different context uh we cannot think our way out of the spiritual ills that we have now uh just just you know uh, just thinking better getting getting better answers is not is not going to it's going to be a, a matter of of practices and a, and a and a yielding uh to the spirit and i, I think it's becoming clearer and clearer that being the people with all the right answers didn't exactly get us where we wanted to go. And, uh, that that is not a deep enough identity for the Stone Campbell, uh, people at this, at, at this moment, we, that that's just not going to be a sustaining, uh, identity. So, um, uh, you know, I like thinking I'm, 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 a school teacher. I've, I've taught students who thought and who didn't, and I prefer those who thought and, <laughs> um, you know, I, we, we, we need to, uh, probe, uh, deep. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not, a, it's not just a matter of having, um, better, um, uh, Better answers. I, I just don't think we can think our way out of, of w- where we find ourselves. It's gonna it's gonna be some different kinds of spiritual intuitions that are that are gonna lead us where we need to go.
3: I grew up in Middle Tennessee um, in the Church of Christ, uh, and I grew up uh, being taught that the Holy Spirit does not operate outside of any way the Word of God would operate at all. And so to me, thinking about the Holy Spirit doing anything outside of what I would see happen with me reading the Bible um, wasn't really in the picture. And so when I look back on it, I think I grew up with the Father, I grew up with the Son, but I grew up with... uh, almost no view of the Holy Spirit being able to work in my life in a personal way. Um, that's why I wish I'd been at the Ridge Revival. <laughs> How awesome would that have been <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, to have come out of that man with Holy Barking and all oh, that would have been so fantastic. I would have loved that. Um, but I've had, <laughs> I've had to grow a lot in my uh, the way of interacting with the Holy Spirit, and that's why even in the last episode I talked about think Spirit, get Spirit, because I've had to teach myself over the years just to include the Holy Spirit in my vocabulary, and in my thinking, and in my prayers. And um, I, I, I was actually it's interesting we're talking about this that in this is July for those of you that might be listening to it a little later, but. I've uh, I I do still uh, minister to a group of about a little over a hundred people. And um we've been talking about spiritual formation all summer long. Um we want it to be a summer of transformation, but we've dedicated the month of July to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you might think that's silly, and it is a little silly, but if you don't start somewhere, you're going to end okay. up nowhere. <laughs> so, and so I was like, let's just do, it. let's talk about the Holy Spirit as much as we can in July, because my hunch is is if we do that, we'll be it'll be a lot more comfortable and natural for us to talk about the Holy Spirit in August. Um, and that's so I feel like. That um, this um, uh, there in some pockets of the Stone Campbell movement, yeah, there needs to be a rediscovery of the Holy Spirit. There needed to be in my life. I know that for sure. I can speak mm-hmm. personally that when uh, all the way through college, through Freed Hardman College, in the four years that I had there, the Spirit was not a part of my vocabulary, and that's the way I was trained. Um, and it wasn't really until I started reading, um, works of uh, spiritual formation. I picked up Richard Foster's book in my, um, college bookstore, Celebration of Discipline in 1978, when it first came out, I just saw it there. I picked it up. I saw the word discipline. I thought that sounds cool. No idea what spiritual formation was or the spiritual disciplines, but it, it, uh, Got me thinking about spirituality in a different way, and I've never been the same um, since that. And so um, I'm grateful for these discussions to help us to think more about spirituality, including the discussion of the Holy Spirit
2: in that. I discovered the Foster book somewhere around 1981. So two or three years after you did. And it's hard to explain this to people today. There's so much great literature out there in spiritual formation. There was nothing else like it. And, you know, it was like, where has this been Mm -hmm. all of my life? And I would, I would sort of take my own journey back to that, that moment when I read that book, where where has this been all my life? Mm. And, it's, it's well, insane. I
1: read that book too, but I didn't pick it up because it had the word discipline in it. Steve, I think you are a little bit of an anomaly. <laughs> discipline, that looks so interesting. No, thank you.
0: <laughs>
1: right. uh. And um, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches and those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing from John fifteen five. In what ways does Jesus' teaching in John 15 relate to spiritual formation and spirituality? Do you guys have insights on how we might have misinterpreted or misunderstood Jesus' teaching in this context?
3: Well, I know from my tradition and my background that um, this verse has been interpreted as what the fruit is, is the fruit that you bear in your life, or even more specifically, the fruit that you make as other disciples. And um, I mean, I, I can remember vividly a sermon in which the, the preacher said, there is no other way to think about this. You've got to be making disciples. And that's what this verse is talking about. But I mean, when I look at this verse, I think about the fruit of the spirit and that the spirit's going to bear something in her our community and in our lives. And we're connecting to the vine so that the Holy Spirit will um, work in our lives and produce his fruit in our lives. And so I, you know, I've had to work on that. I've had to work on having this mindset that, okay, I'm, I'm in the vine so that I will see fruit being born, namely, um, who am I going to baptize next? Basically, that's how it That's how it was um, taught Um, versus how's my character and how am I becoming more like Jesus? And is Jesus being formed in me? Uh, And how is the spirit working on me to become more um, spiritual and more like
2: Christ? So, yeah. Yeah, I I think paying attention to the first verb would help. You know, those who abide and, you know, you, you jump to the, the bearing of fruit without kind of dwelling on the abiding uh, part. That abide is truly one of the great words in the English language. I mean, the, the greatest scene and the greatest novel written by an American author in the 20th century is built around the word abide. And, you know, you have this cult movie where the you most know, famous line is, the dude abides. It, 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 um, <laughs> and, um, you know, that, that notion, okay, what, what would it mean to abide in, in Jesus? What, what would that look like? And if you get the abide part right, the fruit part takes care of itself and you know we we have this tendency to want to worry about the fruit part instead of worrying about the abide uh part so that that's kind of the where i'd want to kind of shift things
1: you think that's too part of like we want to focus on the fruit part because that seems like what we can control sure like you know easier easier to catch it's Yeah. yeah
3: it's also a bit more measurable um and that's, it's, as far as my tradition goes, we were very much into measuring things. Um, and so you, you, can, you measure the, the visitors you got out to church, and you measure the studies that you're in, you measure the uh, baptisms that you're having, um, and, and yet abiding in Christ. How do you measure that? <laughs> you, you know, so that's, I, it, it. it is, um, but it is the right focus for sure, the abiding.
0: Brother Lawrence, uh, he wrote The Practice of the Presence of God, and a quote attributed to him says, "The, the most holy and important practice in the spiritual life is the presence of God. That is, every moment to take the great pleasure that God is with you you know, this this language of practicing the presence of God, it seems uncommon in, in many of our churches, and maybe it's even uncomfortable to many uh, within our tradition. Uh, you both talked last podcast about the contemplative life, and I believe those two things are connected. How, how do you understand this concept of practicing the presence of God, and how is it relevant to our spiritual growth today? So,
2: Brother Lawrence, you got this middle-aged monk, uh, or well, monk in the Middle Ages. I don't know how old he was. Uh, <laughs> and and so you know you have if if you've been to a monastery and if you haven't, I highly recommend it. You know they're they're praying seven times a day. They're gathering for communal prayer seven times a day, starting with vigil, like at four o'clock in the morning, and closing sometime around. 7 p.m. and then they all go to bed because they get to get up at four. Um, and in some ways, Brother Lawrence's question is, uh, "How do you practice the God the presence of God when you're not praying?" Okay, how about, how about when I'm hoeing the garden and when I'm washing the dishes and and when I'm when I'm doing those sort of things? Is it can that and and so for him, the times of communal prayer were ways of 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 getting him to practice or attend to the presence of God. And when you got better at that, you could also do that while you were hoeing the garden or, or washing the dishes. And, um, you know, Steve, Steve likes images. And so do I, I mean, one way to think about this is, is God is always broadcasting. We're just frequently not tuned in. And we, we live in a noisy world where there's just kind of all this chaos and interference and so the contemplative practices are practice in uh, tuning in and attending to God. And, um, you know, when, when, once we learn to do uh, you know, sitting prayer, yeah. um, then we can also learn to do leaf raking prayer and, and dishwashing prayer and talking to our friends uh, prayer. So, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a cr- really, Maybe it's a mystical concept, but it's, it's not a crazy concept. I mean, it's part of our faith that we believe that God is constantly present every time, everywhere. We believe that. And so the the question is, can we train ourselves to be more attentive to that which we've already said we uh, we believe?
3: I love bl- Brother Lawrence and I love his book, Um and this is one of the reasons I appreciate Richard Foster and his celebration of discipline, because I didn't know Brother Lawrence before I read Richard Foster's book. And I didn't know Francis Fenelon. Um, and I didn't know Julian of Norwich. And it didn't. I mean, there's so much of the great uh, Catholic spirituality that I just missed out on um um julian not being part of that but anyway <laughs> Brother Lawrence certainly fenelon was actually a heretic <laughs> and, and then it was um, revoked anyway i digress the practice of the presence of god has helped me in my spiritual life as much as any other concept i said i love images um, and just to have this image in front of me that god is with me um Even as he said, if he's peeling potatoes, which he didn't have a grand job in the monastery. It was like he he was he was sweeping the floors. He was peeling potatoes. And so he was he was practicing while serving. um, But he believed that God was right there with him as he was was serving. And um, this has been taken on into kind of Renovari, which is, you know, from um, Richard Foster and and Dallas Willard into the with God life, this concept of living with God all the time. And there's an Old Testament book that really helped me as well by Samuel Terrian um, called The Elusive Presence. And in that book, he talks about the presence of God throughout all the Old Testament passages and how God is present even when it seems he's hidden. And I love that idea. That because there aren't, I mean, there are times in which it's granted, right? It's hard to see God, it's hard to
1: mm-hmm. feel
3: His presence, it's hard to know that He's there. Um, but if we um, if we stay uh, attuned, like Randy was talking about, then His presence will become known to us. Um, so this this concept. It, it really is a great concept for spiritual uh, formation and spiritual transformation. I try to keep it in front of um, my life and also in front of the people that I'm with all the time because God is present. And even the idea of Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, ties into that.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, some people may be concerned that focusing on spiritual formation can lead us away from the missional purpose of the church, inward rather than outward, keeping us from advancing the kingdom, living out the Great Commission, uh, those kind of things. They might argue that the church will lose its focus and won't grow. How would you guys address these concerns or or things like this about the about focusing on spiritual formation, which I think is kind of a funny part of this question because Like there's not a whole lot of focusing going on, but, but as we, as hopefully we're doing more of that, is it possible that making a paradigm shift will serve to advance the gospel in our present culture instead of being a threat to that?
3: Um, I definitely feel like, um, there's no threat. Um, how is abiding in Jesus a threat? How is having Christ formed in us a threat? Um, this is what spiritual formation is all about. How is becoming, how is walking according to the spirit or setting your mind on the things of the spirit, a threat that's you're, we're talking about becoming more spiritual people. Um, and I, I would guess I would also ask how are we doing winning the world <laughs> anyway mm-hmm. with other things? Um, I mean, you get the same question with, with uh, justice. Oh, if we get to involve the mm-hmm. justice work, then that's going to take us off of the mission. But um, justice work is part of the mission. Being like, just like being a spiritual person is part of the mission. Um, and so to me, there's no dichotomy there. Um, you, you go out and you um, help people in the world around you. They're going to be drawn to the Jesus that they see in you. Um, And so I just don't accept the dichotomy. I I, I
2: don't. Yeah, I think, um, uh, I mean, mean, human beings have very high capacity to make a mess of things. And, uh, you know, I think that's
1: a huge understatement, Randy. We do have a huge capacity.
2: To say it it correctly, I would have to use foul language. I'm not sure. (laughs)
1: Yeah, this is a Christian show. Keep it it, cool. Right. (laughs) Right.
2: And um, we have had a way of taking God's good gifts and and sort of mucking them up sometimes. So, I mean, it's not impossible that could happen, but there's nothing endemic about it that that would make that happen. And, you know, the the, more the way I think about it is, uh, okay, right now the whole world is crazy. And I want you to think about what an evangelistic move it is to say to a crazy world, let me introduce you to a life where craziness is not necessary, Mm -hmm. Uh, where there's some relief for the anxiety, Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: just the craziness. And there have been times when contemporary churches have invited people to change their form of craziness for our form of craziness. And... I'm not, I'm not sure that's progress. Um, maybe maybe it's a little bit. Maybe some forms of craziness are less I mean, bad than others. But 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 think about you know. I wish they would say about Christians of all the people in the world, they're the least anxious, most centered. You know, they're 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 kind and open and use that for an evangelistic stance and. You know, so this, this, this life is a gift. You know, it's a, it's, it, it's a gift of God in, in, in Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, that might not work, but I want to go back to what Steve said. It's not like we're doing great. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, uh, the, the, the church in North America is, you know, North America is rapidly becoming a mission field. I, 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 you know, and it, at least statistically speaking, there is nothing that's going to be able to reverse that. Um, now, who knows what the work of God is going to be here? Uh, but, um, you know, uh, we need to get our identity back. You know, these these are the people that abide in Jesus, who aren't so much interested in controlling your life as inviting you to a way of life that's a little less crazy than it was because it's centered in a loving and, and gracious uh God. You know, it's kind of we need to get our story back.
1: <laughs> yeah. I really love that. We need to get our story back. That yep. is just yeah. perfect. Yeah, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking that like I think sometimes the arguments that we in the church give to something, like uh people who when you say something about serving overseas, and they're like, Well, there's people right here at home that need stuff. Then you ask them what they're doing for those people right here at home and they're not doing anything. So it's the same with this thing of spiritual formation, like spiritual formation isn't this, this, and this, because we need to be about the, you know, outward great commission work. Okay. Well, what are you doing about that? It seems like it becomes like a way for us to deflect so that we don't have to do like the hard work and to use what, you know, Steve loves discipline, like for us to have some, discipline in our life to be able to be still, to be able to like do these things that cause us to look different than the world, which really the world right now needs something very different. And so I really love that idea of getting our story back and, um, and, and really thinking about this in a way that, that does transform the, the way that, that the church can be present in the world, especially when it's so crazy. Kevin, did I cut you off?
0: You did, but that's okay. I I was uh, taking in those good things you had to say, and I'm glad you did. Um, I, I, I want to then throw something out as kind of a follow-up to that. Um, you know, we, we tend to, I, I think sometimes, first in church life, Randy alluded to this in our first podcast, you know we're worker bees. We program things. We're busy, and and we like to keep keep doing. Um, and then then we talk about spiritual formation, and it almost sounds as if it is an individual pursuit at times. We have these disciplines, and we talk about disciplines like solitude, and of course you know time in the Word, and there's there's a host of these, and depending on the number is often you know, dependent on who, who's teaching the class on the disciplines. So some of these are individual uh, pursuits, time alone with God, and, and things of that nature. But what are some things that we can do that brings the practice of being formed together communally into the life of the church and, and to, to stress it more? And what are some practices that are not done just individually, but together as community uh, that can put our formation into the image of Christ kind of more front and center, and and in practice in the things that we engage in. Does that make sense? If you if you guys were both leading a church, um, what w- what are some things you might implement that would help us to do it better together?
2: So here, here's the short answer. I think uh, prayer. Just like
1: your students, you can't get it wrong if you say prayers. (laughs) Uh,
2: The spiritual disciplines are very difficult to do in community. They're impossible to do by yourself. And uh, this is a way of life that is radical enough that it requires community support and community encouragement. And even what we would think about as as more individual disciplines are going to flourish only where there is a community of, of, of people supporting that and so that's one of the things i tried to do at acu is i tried to create a group of of, of guys who are going to communally support each other to live in, into a certain way of life and so that you know the, the the short answer is if if i were going into churches i would try to create covenant groups of practice and i would go with the goers uh you can spend enormous amount of energy trying to get people to do stuff and i would start with the people who are already who are already hungry for a life and you know part of the problems with small groups and churches is they never reach the level of covenant you know they they, they never agree that okay we're gonna, we're gonna try to do life in a in a in a certain way. And we're going to, we're going to be mutually encouraging, uh, to each other, uh, about that. And, uh, you know, you, you, you go out, you try a discipline and then you come back and say, how'd that go? What'd you, what, what'd you learn? How'd you and God do this week? And, uh, then you actually have something to talk about and then you go and, and, and try it some more. And that's, uh, I think that's the way you kind of create a spiritual, um, You know, a a spiritual life. Uh, You know, I think you can do some things in the assembly to support that. But I think it's I think the support of that's going to primarily be in 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 a smaller covenant uh, um, community. And, you know, there's there's a big difference between private and personal. You know, the disciplines are personal, but they're not really private. I, you know, they're, they're, they're part, uh, even hundreds of monks are supported by a broader, uh, uh, community of, of, of faith. They're not just sort of out there all by, uh, all by, all by their lonesome.
3: And I think what I would add to that, I mean, that's fantastic, Randy, what you just shared, the idea of covenant groups. Um, and just teaching on it, just more teaching on it and more teaching um, on the Holy Spirit and teaching on abiding in Jesus and some of the themes that we've talked about in these two episodes here, these two podcasts, because um, the, the people, not everyone is familiar with this language and not everyone is familiar with um, uh, growth, how you grow and, and uh, what a person does to go about growth. And people are kind of, um, and, and I think in, our, in churches, many times we're looking for a program and we want the program to fix things instead of really looking to the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus. Um, and the, the program might fix things for a short while, but I've seen that, <laughs> that at some point, it's gonna burn out and you're gonna look for the next program. When actually Jesus is is the answer, um, Jesus engaging the Holy Spirit, and um, I think yes, covenanting, uh, having covenant groups in which we're working on each other—that to me is helpful.
0: Well, that gives some good advice. I think the church leaders who are listening to this and wanting to more be be more helpful. And to have some, some direction. I can't, can't tell you both how much we have appreciated this conversation. And I know our listeners are going to be blessed by it. Um, is there any encouragement, any thought you'd want to leave our listeners with before we kind of wrap things up today, before we, we get away?
2: I noticed you offered this optional question of are you hopeful about the next generation and why? And, uh, you know, I'm dying to answer that because the way I answer that is I'm hopeful, but I'm not optimistic. And, you know, optimism is sort of a form of mental illness. Um, you know, optimism <laughs> is a failure to understand the situation. And um, the difference is optimism depends on human beings and hope depends on God. And there may not be any reason to be optimistic. But there's every reason to be hopeful. Um you know what's James, James Bryan Smith's famous line: uh, "The kingdom of God's never in trouble." You know, your congregation might be in trouble. But the kingdom of God is not is not in trouble, and uh, the, the the world needs that kind of hopeful hopeful note. You know, optimism. Okay, that may depend on the situation, but hope depends on a God who will finish what He started. And uh, yeah, there's every reason to be hopeful. Mm-hmm.
0: That's good. I, I love a guest, by the way, who who looks into the question bank and just asks themselves the question because that is a great question and a great answer. What a <laughs> what, we'd have been poorer for not hearing that. And what a great clarification. Thank you, Randy. Um, Steve, you might want to answer that question too, or or something else.
3: Well, first off, I want to say to you and to Tina, thank you for your work. This is fantastic. And I'm just honored to be a part of this, and John as well. You guys are doing a tremendous uh, ministry and a great service here. So thank you so much for that and for allowing me to be a part of this. Um, and, I, yeah, I, I am hopeful. And the main reason I'm hopeful is uh, what's the alternative? <laughs> despair. <Yes. laughs> you know, I, yes. I choose not despair. I choose hope. Um, You know, Jürgen Moltmann, the great theologian of hope, uh, talks about that you connect anxiety with terror, but you connect hope and joy. And that's what I choose. And I'm constantly looking out for the hopeful people. And I do find them. I find them around me. Just a very brief um, example. I taught at a um, camp uh, a couple of months ago in Pennsylvania, and there were 100 young people that came out, uh, college-age young people that came out and listened to me teach three classes on this type of material and on spiritual transformation. And to see them sitting, and this is post-COVID, it was my first time post-COVID to sit with a group that large, um, and to see these 100 young people who came out and gave their summer away, basically. They were there to serve other people, mostly inner-city children, um, in a camp, and also to work full time as interns, many of them unpaid interns in the ministry. And so, when I got a, when I was there, I was just like, "Ah, I just want to stay forever." This is so hopeful. And so, I choose hope, and uh, therefore, yeah, I, I when I see things like that, it makes me hopeful.
0: Well, that that's great to hear, and. You know, for Tina and I, it is a blessing to us to have these conversations, and and we both hope both of you will come back at some point in the future and have more conversations with us. Uh, again, I'd like to let our listeners know that there are other ways to access um, Randy's work and Steve's work. Randy's got a lot of books out. I, you know, I'm trying to remember different titles: Life Work, God Work, Soul Work. Uh, Daring Faith. I'm just throwing some titles out that I've got on my own shelf. Um, And Living Jesus is one that we've talked about today. He's got a lot of things. If you look up Randy Harris on YouTube, you can go to a lot of, you know, Lipscomb, Pepperdine, ACU programs, and hear some great teaching and some great lectures. And then uh, Steve, uh, he's got his uh, blog space at uh, stevekinard.wordpress.com. and then uh, the teleos journal at teleosjournal.com. So I hope you'll access some other things by these uh, great men. And again, we, we so thank you for being with us on this conversation. Uh, we, our motto is unity starts with a cup of coffee. We're wanting people in the streams of our movement and beyond our movement as believers in Christ to get to know one another more. We want to help be the answer to Jesus's prayer in John 17 for unity. So here's a question we'd like to kind of wrap things up with. Tina, why don't you ask the question if you, you don't mind?
1: Okay. So guys, if we were able to have this conversation or similar conversation with you all at a cafe somewhere, how would you take your coffee? Steve?
3: <laughs> I would um, take a, um, a mocha latte. Yep.
0: Living on the edge okay. there, Steve. Wow.
2: <laughs> and I would take my cup empty. I don't drink. Coffee. <laughs> yes, I'm
1: also not a coffee drinker. So what do you do in the morning when you get up? What do you drink?
2: Um,
0: juice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. I, you know, I think... I think if we took a survey of our guests, I think we're at about 50% don't drink coffee. So, uh, you know, in our third season of this podcast, it may may just have to be have a cup of something <laughs> of your choice. Get, go out and just get with people. Well, just a delight to be with the both of you. And we thank you for your time taking several... Uh, podcast times of being with us, and we hope to have you back again soon. For our listeners, uh, we hope you join us again next week for another great conversation about unity. Look forward to being with you. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundunity.org to learn more about who we are, You can subscribe to The Essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the Gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you can't find a gathering in your area, we can help you start one. It's not difficult or time-consuming, and we'll help you out along the way. It really does simply start with a cup of coffee. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.